Welcome to another Bearded Butchers broadcast. Today, we have a very special guest, somebody that we are really excited about joining the show, and that is Chef Andrew Zimmern. Andrew Zimmern, welcome to the show. We've been a What's huge up, guys? We've been a huge fan. It's an honor to have you on. Thank you. Absolutely. Thank you. It always makes me smile because... I, I mean, there's squirrels in my backyard that have more street cred in my house than I do. <laughs> I mean, it's seriously. So there's like, there's the part of me that's out there in public that is that, that whatever that persona is, whatever people think, uh, if you're on TV and write books and do the different things that I do. And, and then there's the reality of like, you know, walking into the house with my head hung low because I didn't clean the garage well enough this weekend. So, you know, how I mean, it's... We certainly it's the same can relate. Everywhere. Yes, sure. yes. Yep. Um, I would say you're uh, you were you know famous before you were famous in the sense you were a chef um, for many years before mm -hmm. what was it like 2006 when Bizarre Foods came on the scene. Would you say that probably propelled you to the limelight the most? Uh, yeah. Well, actually, it, it it's funny the uh, the story is actually better, and I rarely get asked the question that way where I remember it. Uh, most accurately. I would um, love to hear it. If you, if you, yeah, no, no, this is a great, no, it's yeah. fantastic. I mean, this is what makes for great conversation. So, um, you, you know, there are 2000 shows a, a day are pitched, uh, you know, 1% get made of that 1%, another 1% make it to air. Mm -hmm. I mean, most just never make it to air. Um, wow. and it's rarer still that you have a show that, is on for years and years and years. I mean, it's it's still on. It's wildly popular. I just the, watched it on Sunday. Yeah, thank you. Yeah, the, the, absolutely. The number one show on um, uh, Cooking Channel is Bizarre Foods and Delicious Destinations reruns. Mm -hmm. So you know, and it does really well on the streamer. So um, that's great, but it also means they're not buying any more shows from me uh, for the foreseeable future. Sure. Um, the uh, so it does have a flip side, but I'm very very proud of the show. When they made the original, they they liked it. We made a pilot. They went uh, well. I'll start at the beginning. We pitched it on paper. They gave us. They said, "Come back to us with a stronger concept, but we like it." Stronger concept came back. They gave us two or three thousand uh, dollars. Give us a proof of concept video. Mm -hmm. We shot a proof of concept video. Then they gave us five or six grand and said, "Shoot us a better proof of concept video." Uh, and, uh, we did, then they, uh, bought a pilot and we spent three weeks in Asia. It wound up being, it, it airs and it's, I think you can find it still on discovery plus called bizarre foods of Asia. We went around to three countries. What a country to start in. Too. I was going to say that. It's a whole continent. Well, continent. And, and if, if I may. Mm -hmm. had, how, how much, um, I guess, bizarre food experience did you have? I mean, you've been in the culinary scene for some time, but I would assume that, you know, this would have been a, a bit of a cold plunge, was, was, it, was, was it not? Was your stomach ready for it? No, I, I think it was self-selecting. I think I chose the show, and we, we can talk about the show and the pitch and how I sold it. Um, but what, what upset me was that, that people somehow thought um, – uh, a bowl of, you know, pasta with white truffles, you know, at a restaurant in Abruzzi was somehow more valid than uh, 
you know, uh, eel head soup mm-hmm. with coconut milk and chilies on the side of the road in, you know, in the central oh, Thai sure, river sure. system. Right. Mm-hmm. And so that was sort of the genesis of the whole thing. And it's, you know, growing up, my dad was, you know, the, oh yeah, we're going to, we're going to get eels and, you know, nail them to a tree and strip them out of skin. And we're going to go frog gigging and we're going to, you know, do this and eat that. And when I was little, traveling with him in Europe, um, which I had a chance to do, we would, um, I'd be like, what's on this toast with the, he goes, well, you, I ordered you the pigeon, the squab. And so that's the sauteed breast. That's the confit leg. And on that toast is the seared heart and liver mashed with a fork. So I was already. Okay. I, I was Pretty well cultured then. Mm-hmm. Yeah. That Well, I, I don't know if it's culture. Just like I, I was already nose to tail. I was already organ friendly. Mm-hmm. I was already in the shallow end of the pool. I got into the deep end of the pool on someone else's dime. Right. Um, but I was the right guy for the job. Sure. But anyway, the, the pilot airs and they green light the series. Now, when they green light the series, you've now cleared this huge hurdle. And but what that means is you can go shoot the next eight shows, which isn't a lot. Hmm. And you're still shooting episode eight and you're still editing six, seven and eight when episode one airs. So you have no way to change anything. You have no way to get feedback other than the pilot, which was radically different than okay. what the show actually was. We we took three weeks in three countries to make the pilot The with a crew of like seven. To make the episodes work, it was uh, one city in one country, me and two other people shooting, doing wow. sound, writing it at yeah. night, you know, in the hotel room. I mean, it was crazy shoestring, right? Because we wasn't getting a lot of money. So in TV world, episode one comes in at a certain number, a certain level. And the network needs to see growth. And the magic episode is number three. Okay. It's why it's why when we do, you know are scheduling and programming episodes of other shows of mine, you don't put your best show number one or number two. You make your best show number three because you want to hook that audience mm. and have and pop the number. Right. So I'm I we we make the show and it comes in here and show number two is like three one hundredths of a percentage point. Okay. Show number two mm. is better than show number one. And I'm a little panicky. Yeah. And because it's like, this is my dream job and this is my chance and I'm only going to get one chance. All the negative sort of crap oh, they, that you're yeah, they, sure they get in there you. fast. Yeah. Mm-hmm. When the when the icy hand of fear like mm-hmm. squeezes your larynx in the middle of the night. And I'm sitting there uh, watching episode three and episode three was Ecuador and uh, a shaman. uh did performed an exorcism on me and it was not in the original, uh, pitch, uh, or beat sheet. And we were just bored. We had like six hours. I was mm-hmm. like, this is a witch doctor. He does exorcisms. It's like 10 bucks. I'll pay for it. Yeah. But we should shoot it thinking there'd be <laughs> some good B roll. Sure. Dead serious. We thought, okay, it's just gonna be some funny B roll. We go in there we spend four hours. We shoot every second of it. This guy spat on me. Uh, poured homemade like hooch on me, lit me on fire, beat me with these branches. I broke out in hives over a hundred percent of my body. Well, not the soles of my feet, but everywhere right, else. Right. 
I'm naked in the room. Um, he takes a guinea pig and beats it on my chest until the guinea pig is dead. Um, wow. He does the same with a chicken. And by the way, you have to smash a chicken against a man's chest to kill the chickens. I, 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 haven't, I haven't tried, but I can the, imagine. This, this yeah. escalated in a hurry. Oh, it was insane. It was insane. Um, he's smoking coca leaf and blowing it at me and then lighting me on. But the whole idea is to kind of suck the evil spirits out of me, trap them in these dead animals, throw all the dead animals in the corner of the room, and then he scoops it all up and burns it by the side of the river so he gets rid of the evil spirits. So we air the thing in the middle of the whole thing. At one point, I'm trying to deliver a line to camera very seriously, and he just walks right up to me and spits in my face and then lights me on fire. And wow. I just started laughing. Sure. I just started laughing. I mean, yeah. what else are you going to do, yeah, right? right. I mean, by the way, I should also tell you he was about four foot 11. Yeah. <laughs> and with a headdress, and he's uh -huh. bare chested, and he's chest bumping me, but it's really his head. And I mean, it was just. Bizarre and comical there, there, at the same was, time. There was no point where you were like, I'm out. Yeah, you every did. second of it, I was <laughs> out. But I was like, <laughs> Give me I want to tell this story sure. more. Yeah. Right? And the, the show airs on a Monday. Wednesday morning, we get the numbers on the show. And there was like a tiny little dip between episode two and three. And I'm just like, that's it. We're done. We're, yeah. Like, we're not going to. I mean, because. The network isn't spending a lot of money promoting, not a lot of marketing spend against mm -hmm. the, you know, once they're investing money in the shows and the talent is popular, then you get marketing dollars. Yeah. So I'm, and, I'm and watching. If I may interject at the time, we didn't have the social platforms to really kind of do the marketing in, in a, in a very scrappy, uh, almost free or cheap way that we might have today. Uh, I think the iPhone was invented the year after we yeah, shot this. Yeah, yeah. So it wasn't it wasn't like you could deliver this any any other way than pr pretty much yeah. on a television. You're screen. not going to your Instagram and, that, and, and that make costs a, post. a lot of money. Sure, yeah, that is correct. I'm sorry. So yeah, no, no, no. So I'm watching my television career, my my that I'd worked by the way to go from local to national shows oh, sure. to then my own international show. Huge. I'm watching my television career circle the drain because yeah. you do not get a. Uh, a second chance. Yeah. Mm -hmm. And uh, phone rings. It's Wednesday afternoon. And uh, voice saying, Hi, it's uh, John. I'm the uh, booker at the Jay Leno show. And I'm like, You know, up yours, Steve. I thought it was my buddy okay. from school, like messing around with me. Phone rings back. Hi, this is, you know, the Jay Leno show. We're looking for Andrew Zimmern. And I'm like, The Tonight Show, Leno show? And they're mm -hmm. like, Yeah. And I'm like, all right, you have my attention. And they're like, can you be in LA tomorrow night? And I'm like, I can be there Friday. I'm like, it's just too late. Yeah. Yeah. You know, I've got a, a I've got a one year old and it's Wednesday afternoon. Yeah. You shoot at three, four in the afternoon. I can't get there into, but I, I could be there Friday. They're like, call you right back. Call me back. They're like, okay, uh, we're doing this. Carl will pick you up there. We're booking this travel. Who do we work with? Blah, blah, blah. And I'm, I, I'm like, my head is spinning. Mm -hmm. I fly out to LA and the booker had seen the Ecuador show. A friend of theirs had called them while the episode is on and said, you need to turn on travel channel right now. There is a guy getting an exorcism from mm -hmm. an Ecuadorian shaman in Otavalo at the world's largest outdoor market. And it is, 
it's the best thing I've seen on TV. Mm-hmm. And I guess they had showed it to Jay. He loved it. I fly out. It was very successful. I did the Tonight Show. Th- oh, by the way, Tonight Show airs the day it's taped. And so episode four was a lot of growth between episodes one, two, three. Episode four, you know, we went from, you know, 100,000 people watching the mm-hmm. show to millions. And it became, I mean, I, without Jay Leno's bookers putting me on the show and Jay thinking that the humor involved in what I was mm-hmm. trying to do was funny. Mm-hmm. Um, and and Leno eats hot dogs, bologna sandwiches, and drinks a quart of orange juice a day. He has an extremely limited diet. Okay. Um, he is, <laughs> he is... He's like an overgrown child that, that way. And <laughs> and he would identify himself that way. And so for him, like a roast beef sandwich is like a huge reach. Taking a step, like, yeah. Like meat on bread. I don't know. I mean, mm-hmm. and so we just had a lot of fun with it. And uh, we had shot a show in Scotland and his mother was uh, from Scotland mm-hmm. and we just hit it off. And uh, without that, there's, there's no show. And it was on... The show was on all the way up until Travel Channel switching over from being a travel and food network to a ghost and paranormal mm-hmm. uh, show. But I always I, I, I forget how important that moment like you because it's seconds and inches, right? The, oh, certainly. The shaman was not on the on the beach sheet. Mm-hmm. Like you, you only shoot what's on the beach sheet. I mean, because every frame, well, frame and now tape now not even tape. Every time you turn on the camera, it's resources because an editor has to look at it. He has to bin oh, the sure. shots. Everyone has to look at it. It's it's a it's an expensive proposition, and so well it and was there there. But for the grace of God, goes bizarre foods. There you go. And best ten dollars you 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 know that ROI on that ten dollars is. I mean that that's it was pretty dramatic. good. That's yeah. huge. Well, it, I, was, it was pretty good. I'm I love that story and and to have it reach the light of day that's that's fantastic. And to so, be told by the man himself. Yeah. That's great. I'm curious Andrew, so you you had a background in, in radio. Did you be yeah, prior to that? Job, do you, do you feel like that had. helped segue you into television? You know, just with oh, with yeah. regard to having some experience and It's an immense skill set. Um long form radio uh, and I was doing a three hour show five days a week. You, you, people are tuning in for an average of like 23 minutes. Mm-hmm. And the, you know, less in television, but radio, especially talk radio that I was on, um, it, it's like 20, 21, 23 minutes, something like that. And uh, mostly drive time numbers pushing that, mm-hmm. et cetera. Um, so, but you're on for three hours. So you have to be, you never know when your listeners, regular listeners, are tuning in. Mm. My most loyal fans on radio might be 3 o'clock on Wednesdays and 4 o'clock on Thursdays and 4.30 on Fridays. So there's no, uh, there has to be verisimilitude in the way you present, the Mm -hmm. tone of your voice, Mm -hmm. your attitude. It doesn't mean that you can't be funny one moment and serious the next. It just means that you have to be consistent across three hours of of airtime in television the way it's edited if you're shooting a show for a week you can't be happy one day sad the next and they try to cut it mm-hmm. right and there's like happy buoyant smiling guy mm-hmm. and 
depressing, sad. It doesn't work. Angry guy. It doesn't work. Mm -mm. So, you know, there's that. Then there is simply the matter of standing next to someone and interviewing them. And with radio, you have to describe for people in a different, to a different degree, what you were thinking, feeling, saying, hearing, I mean, just everything, because it's, you're you're painting a picture in their head. Mm -hmm. So for my kind of television, or what became my kind of television, that became an extremely valuable asset. People, you know, to this day say, I, I could listen to you describe food all day long. I learned that in radio. Everything else you have pictures for. It's like, oh, what? certainly. There, there you go. Hold up mm-hmm. a picture. I mean, yeah. see for yourself. That's what it looks like. Thank you. I mean, you know, I, I didn't have some sort of massive talent. I think I had a decent vocabulary and uh, and all the rest of that. But to, to, it was in radio that you learned, you know, through good direction from good station managers and good producers to over the course of my radio career that was six or seven years to actually – be able to communicate then then are you a good interviewer oh certainly you know mm-hmm. yeah i mean can you, you extract and, information and, and all that type of stuff and make it relative and interesting and avoid well, more, you know and, and you hit the the last word was the most important you have to it's not what i want to hear mm-hmm. right it's what the we, audience we, wants we, we still yep we still joke <clears throat> about this mm-hmm. uh could we get notes from producers could andrew be a little uh less smart um <laughs> And they mean it in the best way sure, possible, sure. which is mm-hmm. the, the longer you did, like, I know how the coffee beans are roasted, but I have to remember most people don't. Mm-hmm. So asking, so how, what do you do with the beans? Do you roast them? Is some a question I need to ask oh, when certainly. I'm standing there in the middle of the African jungle with a guy picking coffee beans at altitude in Ethiopia, right? Mm-hmm. And... I and I have to be the best avatar for the person on the couch watching the show. And there's two main audiences for my type of television, you know, docu follow reality, mm-hmm. lifestyle TV. People who come home and they want to pop a beer or a glass of wine and put their feet up and be entertained. And then there's people who want to learn something and are maybe interested in the socioeconomic anthropological you know historical tidbit that i'm going to drop yep mm-hmm. and so you sort of gotta you gotta play with a couple of different types of audiences and if they don't find you interesting you're gone i tell people all the time they say well what's the secret i mean you're you're you you've been making tv for a while all that means it doesn't matter whether i have a hardware store show or a stand and stir cooking show or a travel show for whatever reason, people want to tune in to, to me one time a week or whatever, and just, and, and watch Mm -hmm. and they still can't, you know, it's TV programmers wish that there was a, a way there, an algorithm or something that could help them pick winners. It's not the audience. What they choose to watch is still, very much a mystery. I'm super blessed that people for, you know, the last 16 plus years have wanted to watch content that I make. Oh, I That's agree. fantastic. I agree. And, and, and you are very interesting and, mm-hmm. and it can be the tone of a voice. Somebody's, you know, personality comes through that, all that stuff in an audience will fall in love with it. And I know personally, some of your favorite moments that I've seen throughout, um, 
your show history, but I'm curious, like, obviously we're butchers. And so, uh, you know, a question that, that comes to my mind is what are, what are some of your experiences related to, um, you know, let's say meat or protein abroad? I, I, I know they're vast, we, but can you vast. think, you, can you think of any, um, uh, certain, you know, obviously having a chicken or a Guinea pig, um, beat to death on your chest is pretty extreme, but like, I'm just, I, Personally, one of my favorite moments was the the shark meat that you were eating in Iceland and things like that. You know, obviously, as Americans, we uh, you know, you've got your cheeseburger and steak and, and, and some things that are very vanilla. Um, but I know it broadens dramatically across the globe. What's Andrew Zimmern's favorite protein? Uh, kudu. Um, I mean, look, you guys the, are the African, the mm-hmm. African animal kudu. Like the, the deer. antelope, yeah, yeah. Indian antelope yep. family. Mm-hmm. It's, what what it's, about it's I, venison? Yes, the, the 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 kudu just has such gorgeous marbling, and it's very lean. But they eat a very grain rich diet, and they do so much running. They they both have a well exercised muscle, but they're 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 gorging when they do fine food. Okay, mm. so if you can take them when they're feeding. The it, it it's mind boggling. It's like the best veal you've ever eaten. Uh, donkey, another one that I wish we ate uh, more of. I I eat donkey every day of the week. It's twice as healthy for you as any other red meat. Um, and I mean, if we didn't have the popularity of Eeyore and the Winnie the Pooh books, we'd be we'd all be eating donkey uh, three times a week because the the animals are easy to raise. Um, there's good yield on them. And uh, they they're absolutely delicious. Where but the, may I interject? Where 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 are they eating donkey? Uh, Italy, China, okay. um, and countries around there. I mean, it's it, 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 any. I mean, look, Central Asia uh, horses and donkeys are highly prized. They're they're you know Kazakhstan, for example, uh, literally means horse people. I mean, these are the the, the horse is the the. The spirit of the horse is the national symbol, but at the market, the largest section in meat is horse everything. Um, and, you know, we're the only country that really doesn't. Um, a lot of other countries have become westernized to it. Um, but, you know, there, there's there's an entire city in the fifth ring suburb outside of Beijing that tourists, Chinese, everyone flocks to to eat donkey, and they have... 200 donkey dishes on the menu, wow. uh, soups, braised dishes, uh, seared dis- dishes, luxury cuts, organs, everything. And if I took you there and you ate it, you would sit down and go, oh, my God, what kind of beef is this? I mean, it's just that phenomenal. Uh, kudu eats more like veal. Um, but the, uh, you know, we've had some really funny, uh, you know, animal breakdown uh, moments in the show. Um, my favorite, we were in Thailand, uh, Isan province, way up in the north. And um, the, we, we, wanted to, the, we wanted to see, they, they love to cook different meat dishes, mm-hmm. beef especially. Mm-hmm. And so we wanted to experience this with them. And, you know, we have to be prepared to, to, to give and not to take. So we decide the best thing to do is let's let's make it part of the story. Let's find a couple of families and a couple of dads uh, because it's very patriarchal society in these villages. 
and I'm going to buy a cow. And because uh, they're not that expensive. There. Mm-hmm, okay. And uh, they're also not very big and they're mm-hmm. pretty darn skinny. Okay. And uh, we're, we're going to buy a cow and we're going to butcher it Thai style. And, and it's very different. And you guys know this, but, you know, all different cultures. I mean, the Chinese butcher chicken differently than we do here in America. We, you we, know, that's one thing about like, and just if I can interject real quick, like our YouTube, yeah. YouTube channel is we see comments from all over the world. So yeah. our style of butchering and processing is so much different than others. So sometimes oh my God, yeah. we, we get, you know, criticized for the way we do things, but that's just, that's just how we do it here in America. That's all. That's, ex- that's exactly right. And right. the, you know, the, you know, the, I mean, I get this all the time where people are like, you know, so everyone raves about the Brazilian picanha cut, mm-hmm. right? right? Why don't I see that, you know, in my, in my store? It's like, well, we don't cut things that way you know if 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 a chinese family saw us separating dark quarters and light quarters and throwing away feet backbones necks heads they would they'd have a heart attack Mm -hmm. i mean i mean they don't even their concept of butchering into quarters i mean it's just it's a completely foreign subject so the same thing in time we're breaking down a cow so we're, we're breaking down this cow together and you know it's you do it on the ground and and they're absolutely brilliant i mean to be able to butcher an animal, essentially roll it out of its skin, mm-hmm. right? So you're not stringing it up in the tree like sure. you're dressing a deer uh, or commercially cutting beef. Mm-hmm. Um, and then to be able to proceed from one end to the other with tiny little knives that couldn't cut through uh, a, a, a piece of dental floss. <laughs> I mean, these guys are absolutely amazing. And they've got – they all have a rock, to sharpen their little okay. bit, you know, every time they're cutting something, but they're just whizzing through this thing. Right. And we're having so much fun. And there, are, there are certain glands, uh, as you know, in the, in an animal's body that you really try to avoid Oh yes, uh, mm-hmm. because it will taint, uh, the meat her- horrifically. Mm-hmm. I mean, horrifically. Um, and, um, you know, they, they wanted to eat, so they love eating raw meat, uh, there. And when the animal is broken down, there's a, there's a, a piece of cartilage right in the chest where the, the, mm-hmm. the ribs come together. Uh, you know, all animals have them. And on a cow, there's like a piece of meat, the size of half a golf ball that kind of sits on the inside of it. That that's like their favorite piece. They were fighting over that. Then they decided to give it to me. It was good, not great, you know, uh, but they love the texture of it, you know, and, and so we're eating, I mean, we're, as we're going, we're eating, they want me to taste everything and it's just, we're just having a blast. Meanwhile, one guy is taking all the trim. He's scraping bones with a spoon and, you know, hacking up little bits of parts that I'm glancing over and I'm like, wow, we, we discard that where I'm from, (laughs) you know, that's, Mm -hmm. that's, that's ground up into some, that's. We grind that, pass it, liquidize it, ammoniate it, and make hot dogs. There you go. Right. Um, And uh, he's going to scrape this into a bowl, and he's going to make an Isan-style sort of raw beef dip. And he puts, you know, a handful of hot chilies that are growing wild by the side of the road. And I know they're going to be hot. I didn't realize they were going to literally take skin off the roof of my mouth. But, you know, it was spicy. Yeah. And everything goes in there. And then they start taking all the discarded uh, glands and squeezing mm. liquid that, that, by the way, in our country, not only is it illegal, 
But we go out of our way to make sure that all of those glands and the liquid that's are because they're so bitter. Oh yeah. I mean, a, a drop of some of this stuff will will taint the meat in a way that it makes it unsaleable. And they're just squeezing it in and tasting it. Oh no, more. And I'm oh. I'm literally my eyes mm-hmm. because I know what's about to happen. Well, again, <laughs> I want to be a better guest. Yeah, than anything sure. Else. Um, so you know, there, there's that. You know, I I shot a 2600 pound uh wild buffalo in new mexico and we had to we had to string that up using a boat lift on its side oh, yeah. and, and butcher that um the you know being out with in tribal situations in africa um butchering a wildebeest we had to do that in like 15 minutes because we were being circled by lions yeah the lions mm. come um, come take we, it well it, this is the, and this is the part that I think most of the shows that do this sort of storytelling skip. So we're we're hunting uh, this wildebeest, and they explain to me that that the we're only going to take the animal that the herd kicks out. Okay, right. So if it's just like the tribal world mm-hmm. over there, if you're useless to the tribe, if you can't fulfill a role, you're 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 pushed out. out you're on your own yep and you know wildebeest it's usually the oldest male their eyes go they don't have speed they the, the while the women and the children are feeding and grazing mm-hmm. the the adult uh alpha males will look out for danger and then they'll eat right so if you're if you're an old grandpa wildebeest you're the one drinking alone by the side of the river when the crocodile comes sure. out and grabs you sure. right yeah, mm-hmm. and so the whole time that we're tracking the wildebeest, I'm like talking to the camera, whispering because I have to talk to the audience, explain to them what's going on. We're following the animal mm-hmm. that's been pushed out of the herd, and finally, one of the translators tells my guide what I'm saying because he keeps telling me to shut up, and he said, "No, he has to tell them what we're doing." And I guess he said, "Well, what's he telling them?" And he found out, and he turns around, and gets really mad at me, and he's like, "You're," and essentially, I said, "What's he saying?" He said that you're wrong. <laughs> and I'm like, well, what do you mean? That's what we talked about back at camp. And he's like, no, that's what the, that's what the white guys with the provisioning thing were telling you. We're yeah. not following a wildebeest. And I'm like, well, what do you mean we're not following a wildebeest? This is a wildebeest hunting story. What are we following? He says, it's easier to track the lion that's going to kill the wildebeest wow. because the lion doesn't have oh. any predators. Mm-hmm in this part of the, the, the plains. Right. Mm -hmm. Um, and so the lion just indiscriminately walks towards the wildebeest and then hides and crouches and crawls in the wildebeest that they refined sense of scent and all this other kind of stuff and movement. They're harder to track. The lions are easy to track, uh, for, for those tribal people, Mm -hmm. not for you and I. right, Right. Right. And, and I'm like, we're tracking a lion and the guy's like lions. And I'm like, what do you mean? <laughs> and it's like, well, it's a female lion that are the better hunters and two of her juvenile uh, children. Okay. And I'm just like, are you kidding me? Like, where are they? And he says, get up. And we, we kind of raise up. We're in, we're in chest high grass. Okay. And he says, do you see the way the wind is moving left to right? And I'm like, yeah. And he goes, you see it across the top of the grass? I'm like, yeah. He says, you see like, 15 yards up, there's like a little wrinkle in the wind. And I'm like, yeah. He goes, that's a lion walking through 
the, the grass. grass. Wow. And you're and I'm thinking, like, I'm hoping he's headed that way and not this <laughs> way. 15 yards away from us. It's like, right, we're following it because we have to shoot it. And I don't know if you're a good shot. And I'm like, oh, I'm definitely taking that. I mean, so the lions find the wildebeest. We find, we stop. The guide tells me, get, by the way, he's 410, 90 pounds. Mm-hmm. And he's holding three sticks and a piece of leather. Sure. And he wraps them together and he says, lie on my back. Uh, I'm 225 pounds. <laughs> I lie on his back. I'm like, this guy can't get up. By the way, he's like 70, right? He says, when I, when I stand up, I'm going to spread the sticks. It's going to be a notch. You lay your gun in the notch and right in the center of the site is going to be the wildebeest. You pull the trigger in two seconds the lions scatter, and then we've got a couple get of to minutes to, yeah. to get mm-hmm. the wildebeest. And I'm I, I'm living there. I am ready to 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 mess my pants. I mean, <laughs> I'll bet I, I, because because you are. We're like six miles walk to the van. Mm-hmm. You, there's no like, you know, payphone at the Seven sure. Eleven. Grab nope. a Slurpee. Mm-hmm. Call the cops. I mean, you were out in the middle of. And by the way, you're not in a national park. You are you are in tribal land. And uh, it's you, the lions, the wildebeest. And by the way, the 15 other things that can kill you that are within 15 I feet of where imagine, you are. Yeah. And he literally like pops up, lifts my whole body. I lay my rifle. I'm literally right in the sight. Boom, wildebeest. Everything scattered. We see stuff going on. I'm freaking out because I'm like, what if the lions run to us? And my translator is saying the lions are scared. There's a bang. They're not used to mm-hmm. it. They're not mm-hmm. coming towards you. You're not the food necessarily right now. I know, but I'm warm and I'm breathing out <laughs> CO2. And I'm like, I've seen these, I've seen these shows, right? Yep. And we get to, and they're like, everyone grab a knife, hurry the blank up. I mean, there's no messing around. We're mm-hmm. processing this animal. And the, you know, we're we're on the radio, we're calling in the truck. The truck has to come find us. The 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 Jeep. Yep. Um, and we get everything in and about, I don't know, 60 seconds after we're riding away. Cause we had to find a clearing with a rock to process the animal. Mm-hmm. Um, we see the lions there like pissed off and the, the mom line is like roaring. I mean, it, it, it literally was like That's a intense. Disney movie. Yeah. It was, my heart was in my throat, but the, the, the more you do that kind of thing, and I've been lucky enough to be able to do that kind of thing a lot in a lot of different countries, um, you, 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 not you get used to it, but you're able to then impart a different method of storytelling because you're not just freaked out mm-hmm. all the time. Well, you know? yeah, you get and the confidence from experiences like that. It, it's great. And, you know, butchering a will to be the, you know, butchering all animals at a certain point is, is the same. Fresh meat that's not hung, that's not aged, different story. Um, and some are some are legitimately better than others. I was pretty amazed. The giant African porcupines, you know, our biggest one in North America, I think the 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 largest on record in North America is like 20 pounds uh-huh. or something. I mean, that that's a by the way, a very good sized mm-hmm. porcupine because there's a lot of it is quill, mm-hmm. right? Um, the North Af- the Southern African porcupines are about 75 pounds, they're huge. That's the size of a small pig. Um, oh, yeah. They're That's giant. amazing. Um, and they are very violent, and they know they have very large quills. Um, and you you go down into burrows 
to spear them and pull them out. And the tribal people that we were with, um, they, they take all the quills off. The women use them for jewelry and for implements, needles and things like that. Uh, they use them as syringes for, they don't realize that they're inoculating, uh, their fellows against disease, but it's essentially what they're doing. Mm-hmm. Um, use them for all kinds of things. Then you, you take this layer of fat that's like an inch thick off of the animal that the quills attach to. Then underneath that's the meat. They, they take the organs and the blood and they make a soup out of it. You eat that right away. The, the, the meat on the bone, the muscle meat goes up into a tree to air dry. It's like 120 degrees and no humidity there. So that happens in like 10 minutes. Mm-hmm. And uh, so it preserves it. And then you take the entire blanket of skin and fat and just drop it over a live fire until it extinguishes and you let it heat up for like 10 minutes. And then the whole tribe, 40 people, each one, each person gets a little square, one of the most delicious bites on any animal in the whole world. Of the fat? Um, of the fat? That's what you're well, eating? Well, yeah, because, because if you imagine the, the biology, that fat, when you look at it like under a magnifying glass, is streaked with tiny little filaments of muscle mm. because it has to move all of those quills, porcupine quills. Mm, wow. And so it's really like the best part of the pork belly or why, why a pig's snout, which moves in a thousand different directions, omnidirectional. Mm-hmm. If you peel away the tough skin and everything else, the, the snoot, if you braise it for a couple hours and then mark it on a grill, is like the best piece of, of pork on the animal is because it's actually a muscle. And people think it's something gross, but if you think about it, you're like, oh yeah, pigs are rooting around. It's a really well-used muscle covered in a lot of fat. Mm -hmm. And if you cook it the right way, like you would belly, um, it's remarkable. So yeah, pretty, pretty darn delicious. That's awesome. So when you well, think there's of, one thing I can guarantee is going to happen is when this podcast airs, I'm going to go back and listen to it because I got to hear this a second time. This is this is <laughs> this is great. Well, I love Andrew, it, Andrew. When you think about some of the the, the creatures that we've talked yep. about, um, you know, whether culturally, ethically, we eat this, they don't eat that, whatever. You go, you know, uh, mm-hmm. you're Hindu, you don't eat cows and things like that. You know, I'm just curious, like, what about um, what we consider pets? I know Asian countries eat well, dogs and cats was, and that sort of thing. Have was, you experienced some of this yourself? I was thinking about that. Sure. Just, I'm um, sorry if I can interject. I was thinking, uh, what would happen if we put a video on YouTube of how to butcher a donkey? Well, we'd find uh, people out. People would go bonkers for it. I just wonder what happened. They'd love what, it. I wonder what the American people would think of it. One of our guys well, has a couple of donkeys. I'm not sure if he's going to be willing to give them up. Yeah. Here, here's the problem. There's there's many species of donkey, just like right many species of cow they're not all good for meat eating Mm -hmm. sure um the there's a a a a a smallish uh donkey species that uh, is very similar in china italy uh central asia that they eat fantastic i don't think the the outrage would be the same because a lot of people don't keep donkeys as pets they're traditionally working animals. Mm-hmm, mm-hmm. And in America, they've fallen out of favor as a working animal uh, because bank loans for million-dollar you know, harvesters are easier to get than a donkey and more reliable. So, and, you know, that's its own different set of problems. But the, the thing that's, that I think would be really interesting is that people 
people don't have a an idea of donkey as pet. If you butchered a horse, I'm glad you brought biology, that up. People would go and and believe me, every time I'm I can tell when you know a, a show of mine goes on rerun on a that where I eat horse uh, that is on a linear channel, not non streamer, mm-hmm. um, because I get you know Twitter outrage, yeah, like you wouldn't believe, and, and it's it's a shame because we we actually have a very large market for horses as food we send most 99% of it south to mexico and central america um but with so many people hungry in the world today uh and with an animal that's quick to raise that we have plenty of if we just spread our resource every meal that we eat of a different type of animal or no animal at all right is one less meal that's taken from a factory farm Mm-hmm. And that's the food that's killing us, right? And it's why I'd rather eat less meat, but better quality from a better resource uh, by percentage than, uh, you know, I'm not vegetarian, right? Mm-hmm. Uh, but I certainly eat less meat these days than I used to because I'm 61, you know, and you just have to you, you just have to start doing things a different way at different phases of your life. Oh, sure. I don't metabolize the same way that I used to. Um, but, you know, the, I mean, look, in, in our country, we, we have trouble getting people to eat a small fish with its head on it. Yes. Which is what we should be eating the most of. Says every other country in the world, historically, culturally, anthropologically, every which way. And by the way, they are typically the most delicious, but people in America, oh, I don't want a bone. The, they have bones, and I don't like the head on it, and it looks like Nemo, and all of this cultural garbage. Um, but we are, we are, we are taught subconsciously at a very early age in this country to buy into certain types of mythologies. And I had a personal experience with this that I think is a really good example. Um, my kid, when he was little, uh, I got to him before pop culture did. So before he went to kindergarten where they keep uh, guinea pigs in the classroom, mm-hmm. he was with me in South America eating guinea pig. Mm-hmm. So to him, guinea pig was food. Yeah, yeah sure. Yeah. Guinea he pig nuggets. Anything of it. Guinea pig nuggets. Um, the uh, grasshoppers, mm-hmm. Mexico, Chapolinas, same thing, right? And a dozen other different animals. I'm with him. Uh, he's like three or four. It's June. We've had a big rainfall. Uh, it's sunny. Sun breaks through. I, I realize I've got that afternoon to uh, till the garden, move some of the stones and the steps. You know, it's after winter. You know, it's, i got to get things ready. About to go away for two weeks. And uh, my wife at the time wants me to, you know, like, it's on the list. Sure. Get the garden yeah. cleaned out. I'll plant everything, but clean it, till it, get it ready, put on the new chicken wire. And so I grab him because I'm I'm on dad duty while she's out doing something. And come on up. And I'm lifting up these uh, pavers, this walkway, and readjusting them. And, you know, at that time of year, you lift them up, and there's a 100 big worms mm. underneath each, each one of those things. And I grab one. And but, but I should also tell you, as we're doing that, the dandelions and stuff like that, I'm showing him you can eat the leaves and you can eat this and the the garlic flowers are up and you can eat that. And he he loved that when he was little. So I said, oh, you can eat the worm. And I eat a worm and he goes, worms are yucky. 
And I'm like, excuse me? And I know we never use that word about mm-hmm, food mm-hmm. in our house about anything. And I'm like, where is he getting this? And he wouldn't eat it. And I thought it was the strangest thing in the whole world because this kid would eat anything. And it's about a year and a half later, and we're clearing out his bookshelf. And uh, I found this cardboard book, eight pages, uh, called Yummy Yucky. And I don't know what made me open it because I didn't remember the spring before. Sure. With the, and it's it's like, you know, chocolate is yummy and, you know, crabgrass is yucky. And, it, and then there's a thing that's like lollipops are yummy. Worms are yucky. And I'm just like, oh, my gosh. Bingo. He read, he read pop culture got to him. All he needed to do was read it in a book as a three-year-old or have it read to him mm-hmm. by the, the, you know, the, the nanny or his mom. I didn't read that book to him. I never would have bought that book. Yeah. I would throw that that's book That's blasphemy to Andrew Zimmer. Uh, yeah. yeah that, and, and I'm just like, oh my gosh, that's how quickly pop culture can get in there. So you imagine some of the ideas that we have that are so entrenched. Squirrel is a huge one. I happen to love squirrel. I would put squirrel up against any other meat mm-hmm. That, that you would eat just in terms of a bite by bite deliciousness. I've got two in my freezer as we speak that my boy I love got. Them. Mm-hmm. I, I hope I hope they're you know big fat red squirrels because mm-hmm. those are absolutely <laughs> fantastic. And um and and I love going squirrel shooting in you know, like Tennessee in the fall and pack the freezer and then chicken fried squirrel with pan gravy, pan cream gravy, and homemade biscuits is just about my favorite meal in the world. Man. And the meat on those animals, they're all they're doing for 60 days, before, if you can get them at the end of the season, mm-hmm. is eating, you know, the most delicious nuts that fall from trees. And just and converting you get them where it, yeah. In West Virginia, where I like to go, uh, if I can get there when they're feeding off the last beech nuts of the year, it's the best. I mean, they're basically finishing themselves mm-hmm. on beech nuts. It's insane how delicious that is. Try to get people to eat squirrel. Now, if I serve it and don't tell them what it is, they're just, they're devouring it, which I do to my friends all the time. Mm-hmm. Um, and you know that that we're not eating more of that, and yet people are going hungry is a is a a very serious ethical. And they're running issue. and they're running around everywhere. Everywhere, everywhere. Yeah, we, do, we we don't know what to do with them. And by mm-hmm. the way, you know, because for demos and stuff, I've had to, I can't just go hunt an animal and then feed it to someone like my chef friends in Europe. Right. Um. So there is a farm in California that's raising them. They're scrawny. They're not great. But for the purposes of a food demo, I've I've cooked squirrel, um, at food festivals and stuff like that. And the people that try them love them. Uh, but they're not even raising them right. They're not even putting a lot into it because they don't see the value on the on the other side. Uh, but you know, when when you know the the, the apocalypse comes or mm-hmm. whatever you believe in, we're, we're all going to be eating anything that's around. And I am not a a, 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 a doom scroller. I'm not a prepper. Mm-hmm. I just know that you know existentially we are in the middle of a food crisis that most people can't see Mm -hmm. but you know they observed it during covid and yet it didn't scare them enough that that you know there's no food of certain types on american shelves and if that doesn't scare or 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 the fact that eating well and healthily has become a class issue in america and and that should scare people um and and into by the way scare them into positive action sure um we need to expand 
our diet. I mean, I mean, I'm I'm talking to butchers. You know, you know, in the old days, you an animal, animals, you know, a couple lambs, a pig, cow, walk into a butcher shop, the back door, and then for a couple of days, all the different cuts populate the case in small town America. Absolutely. My grandmother grew up going into that case and. You know, she had a recipe for head cheese, and the first line of the recipe, it's framed in my kitchen, says, saw head into quarters, you know? And so it, it I mean, I, I find that funny that that's the first line that housewives would have a, mm-hmm. a little, mm-hmm. you know, a little saw on hand. But, you know, the idea of buying uh, even kidneys, try to find veal kidneys. Can't you, find you, them. you have to special order them. Yeah. One of the most delicious things, when, when I'm out deer hunting, I, I, have a show called Wild Game Kitchen that's mm-hmm. on the Outdoor Channel. We watch and, it. Um, thank you. Mm-hmm. Uh, I appreciate it. The, you know, we, we we shot something in this last season where I did something with the, uh, the venison and you know showed people what I typically do when I'm out there, which is you know I, I I grill the kidneys and the liver and the heart, and that's what we're eating while we're skinning the and butchering the the animal, and. The idea, and and by the way, then I feed the crew, and they're all like, I'm not so sure. And they take one bite, and it's just salt, charred rosemary. Uh, I take big handfuls of rosemary, char it till it's blackened, turn it to charcoal, rosemary dust, mix it with salt, lemon zest, a little bit of black pepper, season that with it, and then squirt a little lemon juice on it when it comes off the grill. Mm. It's about as delicious a way to cook any organ meats. And they're eating that that liver that has never seen a refrigerator that is that is crisp like celery and it, it's so firm. Uh the the sweetness of fresh kidneys, the it, it, it's it, it's the best eating on the animal, and yet we're we're throwing it go by the wayside, thrown in the weeds, yeah. You know, um, it's a it's a shame. I want to talk a little bit about the food crisis that you mentioned earlier. Sure. Um, what are your thoughts on, because in our in our business, we have trouble finding skilled tradesmen to do these sure. jobs. Um, so we grew up in the business. We were taught by the generation before us. But it's a, I, I feel like it's a huge problem in America where we don't have people that know how to do these jobs, you know, in, in ours particular, to become butchers. What, what do we do when, you know, they won't go out back and shoot a squirrel, but what happens when you go into the meat case and there's no butcher behind the counter to process the animal? Then what do we do? Well, well, sadly, and and I'm 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 pro robotics, but anti robot. Mm-hmm. Um, science is is a wonderful thing, um, and but but I'm pro human being, um, and I believe in creating a culture in which human beings are allowed to flourish. And am I glad that we have computerized mail sorting and I put a letter in the mail and tomorrow it, it is sitting with my kid, you know, 2000 miles away. If I choose to write him a note. Yeah, I really mm-hmm. like that. Um, sure. But we we have mechanized uh, so much of our world. Uh, we have lost the ability to actually remind ourselves that joy is a part of the equation that you know, inter interacting, connecting with another human being is mm-hmm. part of the equation. And I think the biggest issue, and it's something that I fight a lot about uh, on Capitol Hill and in state houses as I travel around the country, uh, is immigration reform. 
you, you talked about, you used the word skilled mm-hmm. uh, worker, I think is the phrase that you used. There is not a farm abattoir. I mean, I covered this in What's Eating America. I went into big and small uh, meat cutting houses, big and small meat companies. I, I mean, you know, Tyson Chicken, and they've got a lot of problems, but they're basically subsidi- subsidizing the entire country of Samoa to migrate over and to live in Arkansas and providing visas and government pressure on them because they can lobby because, you know, they're a billion dollar company. So Mm -hmm. they can lobby the company so that, you know, they have a a resource of skilled uh, people to work uh, in their factory floors, Um, whether it's picking strawberries or cutting meat in a factory uh, requires skilled labor. Mm-hmm. And over the last 15 years, we have seen the visa system get changed over and over and over again for the worse, less and less and less visas available. I was talking to a woman, young woman, who owns a fifth-generation crab company in uh, on the Chesapeake Bay. And she said, I'm not sure year after year I can keep the business open. I said, why? She says, we don't have enough workers. We've cleaned up the waterways. We're seeing crab numbers rebound. We have figured out for ourselves a better way to take fewer females and more males and just, you know, all the stuff that the industry has done to protect itself, right? Mm-hmm. And she said, but I used to get 52 visas a year, which was enough for our company and our two boats. And it was just, we, we did that mm-hmm. for 80 years. And then, and by the way, this is not red or blue or left or right. This is like seven consecutive administrations, of bo- from both parties that sure. have not addressed immigration reform. So this is this is just about forward and about all of us. Mm. It's not about it's not political. This is civic. If we don't do something to fix the immigration problem in America and reevaluate the the visa um, uh, system that we have, uh, we are in 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 a real world of hurt because the people that want to come to this country who have skills and want to learn. Um, are not working living down the street from you. They come mm-hmm. from other countries. So I said to this lady who owns this crab company, I said, how many applications do you get? She says, I have like 20 jobs. I need 20 more visas. And uh, I said, why do you keep saying visas? Why don't you employ some local people? She goes, there's 170 people live within 20 minutes of where you are. This is small town America, mm-hmm. way out of the end of the Chesapeake. Mm-hmm. I'm like, okay. She's like 60% of them are over 70, 30% of them are under the age of 12. I mean, she just went through the number. The others, there's the postman, the, the librarian, the garbage guys. The, I mean, it's small town America. She says, the other five work here. <laughs> you know, she's like, I need people from somewhere else. And we can't pay them enough to justify because of the price of gas. And all. I mean, you, you do the math, right? She said, however... The women that have been coming here year after year are the most skilled pickers. They're able to send a ton of money home. They put their kids through school. Um, and we went and interviewed them. And these the, the, the people who came from Central America and Mexico every year to work for six months uh, picking crab, it was like talking to the same people that were cutting meat uh, at the in Tennessee, the same people that were picking strawberries in the Central California Valley. They want to be here. They pay taxes. Whether they're legal or illegal, they pay taxes because mm-hmm. the taxes are taken out before they get their paycheck. Sure. Um, 
And they have found it. They are an integral part of our food system. So until we have immigration reform, that's the single biggest impact. Then you have a group of people that want to learn. There was a moment in What's Eating America where the the lady who manages the strawberry uh, farm, I said, how long have you been managing strawberry farms? She says, 25 years. I said, 25 years. She says, yeah, I'm, I'm, I'm about as experienced, and I'm now the general manager for the largest land-holding strawberry company in North America. I'm like, okay. She says, I grew up in this business, third generation. I said, that's great. How many people that look like me apply for a job every year? And she said, zero. Sure. She said, I I can't tell you how many people, because we operate, one of the reasons, one of the ways that they've, uh, improve their bottom line is to operate. Far. Okay, if we can't get people from Central and South America, we'll buy farms down there and truck it across the borders ourselves. And so they're basically outsourcing jobs elsewhere. It's like the worst solution. There are people who would come up here and would love to learn everything there is to know about butchering animals. And by the way, I know I'm preaching the converted, and a lot of your fans that mm-hmm. are listening in are are, are more learned on this uh, on this subject. But the secret is decentralizing our food system, not centralizing it. I don't want three companies to supply 78% of the meat in this country. Mm-hmm. I would like to see, and we by the way, artisanal butchery for a while was making a comeback, right? It's had some fits and starts. COVID didn't do a lot to to help. Mm-hmm. I mean, it really kneecapped a whole bunch of industries. Um, but uh, it did help some, you know, wise people who were able to get into the mail order thing. Quickly. Oh, sure. Yeah. And um, but in talking to people who own companies, small, big and large all across the country that are in the meat business, every single person, regardless of where they're from, what their politics are, all understand the same civic answer. We need immigration uh, reform if we're going to continue this beautiful, beautiful world of ours. We, it, we, our, our food system is damaged, and it's being held together with sealing wax and wire. And we have we have a major league problem in this country that is the the crime of it all. It's solvable. We have the skill. We just don't have the will politically to make the changes, and that's that's really a shame. Hmm. Sure. Well, I'm, I'm glad to hear yeah. you voice your opinion. And part of what we're trying to do is on a very grassroots level, e- educate people on, you know, what it might be like to butcher out your back door again. Because yes. if you look at, you know, let's let's even roll the clock back 100 years. It wasn't it, it was becoming less popular, but let, let's say 150 years. Everybody did it. And one of the Everyone. things, yes, and one of the things that we always say, and to your point about you know needing somebody to do the job, it's it's <clears throat> it's a integral part of the process that is labor intensive. It's um, it's not necessarily for everyone, but if you want a piece of delicious meat in front of you, you're going to have to go through the slaughter step. That's um, right. So you know we we talk a lot about taking, you know, livestock and converting it to something that, you know, you can have in your, you know, on your plate in front of you. And we need people to do that. Or otherwise it, it as you mentioned, consolidation, um, that has many of its own issues, 
uh, because there's there's politics involved in that and the push pull from billion dollar companies and as they begin to control uh, how how the supply chain works and and who you know because we'll ask the question too you know does the chef need the butcher. Or does the butcher need the chef? Or in other words, you know, the chef is what carrying, happens you know, when you have a chef that is a butcher. <laughs> well, there's that too, <laughs> you know. Or does the butcher need the farmer more than the farmer needs the chef? And the and the answer is it's a, it's a symphony. We mm-hmm. need to work in concert. But that step, uh, you know, that slaughter step is is such a, a integral, important part of it. That it, it's why I support taking food from the wild and, and oh, always certainly. have mm-hmm. as, as a young chef, you know, I mean, I, I was in high school, so I wasn't even yet a, a chef, but I was cooking summers and, mm-hmm. you know, knew I wanted to be in the food business from the time I was four years old. And, uh, you know, I'm in New York city. Uh, you know, I'm, I'm a Jewish kid from New York city. We, we don't hunt. What are you crazy? Mm-hmm. Uh, and I got invited and I was hooked immediately because whether it was, you know, breaking down, you know, five geese that we just popped or, you know, uh, a, a beautiful venison that was going to go into my freezer and feed me all year long. It was, it, it was not only was it fantastic to spend days and days out in field and stream and forest many times, not even putting the gun to my shoulder, Oh yeah, but to be able to harvest food myself, then to learn to break it down myself was you know a lifelong skill and i i still suck at it and people look at me cut things to go wow you're really good and i'm like oh i'm not good you you should see people who are really good you know uh and it is to me still a great thrill i i have a freezer in my garage like most people who do this kind of thing that has all the stuff that i've taken right or that's been given to me from Mm -hmm. buddies i trade with yeah and uh I'm most happy putting that food on my family's table. It's it's extraordinary, and I agree. You know, there's there's you you guys have both referenced it without naming it, but I want to put a name on it. Um, we have lost an ability in America to and and I think people are going to surprised to hear me say this, um, but. You know, especially since I'm, you know, a, a left wing, you know, Lindsay liberal. Mm-hmm. I mean, my politically, I'm basically a socialist utopian. Mm-hmm. But I believe that we have lost our our ability the, the to eat. Forget about mastery to even understand the pioneering arts. People, not men, people, men and women, however you identify. Sure. Uh regardless of gender, regardless of identification, should know how to take a meal from the wild, cook it, uh, win a fist fight if you need to, mm-hmm. kiss somebody like you mean it. I mean, there's a whole list of skills. Light a fire, make one, survive for a night in the woods on your own. I mean, like, there is a whole world of this sort of... And I got turned on to it really during Bizarre Foods. You know, I, I spent... Uh, average of 10 days to two weeks with about 36 protected tribes around the world Mm -hmm. that live indistinguishably from the way their ancestors did. And um, every single one of them is a doctor, a veterinarian, an architect, a butcher, a chef, a hunter, a soldier. I mean, it's the skill set of these people that so many Westerners sort of make jokes about mm-hmm. out it dwarfs 
ours. Hmm. I mean, it dwarfs ours. Um, and as you know, we have this thing. I mean, and 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 sure, have we? You know, have we? Can, can we put a man on the moon? Sure, but we can't solve a lot of the simpler problems, and we've screwed up the rest of our planet pretty darn well. And I think that understanding those pioneering arts and being able to master them is something that we all need to take a a real strong hard look at. I I couldn't agree yeah. more. And you mentioned your son, and just I think too, Andrew, we have some primal instincts that if you look at some very young children, if you don't suppress those, they come out. And we found that some with our own children, or you, you, you perhaps you touched on it tribally, you know, in other cultures, you see these youth that if, if you allow them to sort of play out some of their, their, their instincts, they will gravitate towards, you know, these, these sort of uh, activities, whether it's, you know, harvesting something you know, like my and in a healthy in a and they very, were, very yes. healthy way so and we've to, always sorry i just finished my thought we've always taught our children that if you kill something you must eat it otherwise we're we haven't unless you know outside of you know maybe protecting your garden or something i don't know there's, but, a, there's a bat in the house yes yeah, exactly right. but you know and so you know at a young age they, they they're shooting doves but it's always i i remember you know my my seven-year-old is in the house cooking up the dove they're eating the the heart the liver the kidneys and the breast from this dove you know so examples like that i never deterred them and they never knew anything different so i think some of that is just making sure that we don't allow pulp culture to to you know get get in between them and the in what could be you know a a, a not that distant mm -hmm. connection with the wild. Well, I mentioned having two squirrels in my freezer. The first one, my 12-year-old popped, and I showed him how to skin it and gut it. Mm -hmm. The second one, I wasn't even home, and I came home, and it was in the freezer. So I feel like that's what we need to do right there. Pass it, it on it, to the next generation. A, a thousand percent. We need to pass all that stuff mm -hmm. on to the next generation. And you that's, know? What, I mean, that's what Scott and I are doing in the butcher shop. So our father and grandfather started the business, and now um, he has four boys and two daughters and I have three boys and a daughter. So between the two of us, there's nine children and we plan on bringing them into the business and teaching them the trade. And just one of the like other our things, dad did with us. Yeah. And one of the other things you touched on is just the joy that can be in, uh, in, in the, you know, shoot a deer, for example, and you'd mentioned trading and things like that. There's a connection now. So you, you can then take the processed meats or the unprocessed meats or however, and you can, you can have a, you can eat with your family. You can give it to a friend. You can give it to a neighbor. And now you're like, this is something that I, I killed. I, I know where it came from. You know, I handled it this way. And, and, and that's, there's, there's a lot of joy in that, at least for me to, to tremendous joy. Yeah. And, and I'll, I'll extrapolate. I'll pull the thread one more inch. Sure. Um, my son is, you know, he likes to go fishing with me. Uh, not a big fan of hunting, just, could take it or leave it. Um, however, that lifestyle and spending time with me outdoors has put him in a position to choose some other ways in which to spend his time that are really positive, that involve the outdoors and got him into, you know, some stuff that um, was pretty darn healthy for him. 
And, uh, you know, he's, he's now building stuff out in the mountains of Idaho, you know, and it makes him happy and it's rewarding. And it's, 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 you know, as a dad, that's, that's all we want. But the progression, Mm -hmm. the progression through that came from being exposed to a lot of different ideas. And I think one of the problems that we have in our country is we are narrowing the, the, the amount of ideas that we're exposing our kids to, you know, and if you lean into it and you let them experiment with anything, right. And you feed their interests, regardless of what they are, no pun intended. Mm -hmm, mm -hmm. Um, and that, you know, you know, violin lessons are just as important as, you know, uh, hunting and fishing, right. Or whatever it is. it's, it's all time well spent, you know, and uh, it's, it's, it's fascinating to me. I'm so many studies have been done. We, you know, feeding kids desires creates better human beings. It It certainly does. As a parent, you're a, you're a doormat. I'm not talking about that. Obviously they don't call the shots. It's a school night, you know, go the blank to bed. Yeah. Right. Uh, But, but it's like, you know, you want to come out and do X or Y with me? You got it. Let's go try it. So it, it is amazing to see how, how you know food in general. When you get youth around a process, it could even just be cooking in the kitchen. How much enjoyment that they can bring you know, that that can bring to the entire process. You know, you've got the smells, you've got the sounds, you've got different uh, that environment being around food. I think that's one of the things that's really special for me is to just know that, you know, all those moments, those family moments can can really come come together around food. Because, you know, it's not only is it an essential part of, of our, our being, uh, you know, you don't go along without it, but it can just be something that can be really just an enriching experience. And it sticks with you from a young age and it will it will it will go with you your whole life. It can be just one smell mm-hmm. uh, that that you, you know, just takes you back to um to childhood or something like that. So that's one of the things that's really enjoyable for me is just to have the family experience some of, some of the different stuff and, you know, get outdoors and, and uh, you know, fish hunt and that sort of thing. And um, as we wrap up our show, I'm curious, how can the audience right now follow um, or otherwise see what's going on with Andrew Zimmer and perhaps on a daily basis, but you've got, um, the outdoor channel, you're doing some work there, if I'm not correct, or it's, it- well, yeah, the easiest, the easiest thing is to, to go to andrewzimmern.com. Everything is there. Uh, you can sign up for my Substack and get our newsletters mm-hmm. and, you know, really, uh, see everything that we're doing, but we have a ton of stuff, uh, for our fans. Um, obviously I have, you know, 4,000 episodes of eight different shows, uh, all available, all available on discovery plus, uh, streaming, uh, linear, uh, you know, Magnolia doing family dinner, which is a great, Mm -hmm. great show, uh, outdoor channel season three of Andrew Zimmern's wild game kitchen drops real soon. Uh, like a month, something like that. Um, but you know, the seasons one and two, I think are available online at outdoorchannel.com. Um, let's see what else I know there's more, 
I know certain the, 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 social uh, social uh, media follow we follow yeah, you on Instagram. If you go to my yeah. website, yeah. yeah, I mean I'm Chef yep. AZ on Instagram. I'm 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 a pretty decent follow. And yeah. hearing that, Andrew, is there a crown jewel to your to your uh uh, your collection of work that you that you really have um you know or, or do you feel like you're you're you've you've got stuff going on now that but in other words like if you were saying man this really embodies some spirit of what I'm doing is there anything that you would point anybody to specifically among that a collection of work uh yeah um the is it the shaman beating your the, beating your chest three. with a chicken no, in a ep game? Episode no, three. I'm, I'm going back out, and watching I'm, it. I'm trying to figure out the best way to the best way to to express my thought here. Um, I am uh, extremely grateful and extremely blessed that I've had a very long uh, and continuing to have a a, a career a public career, mm -hmm. um, which is wonderful. Uh, it comes with the same so you know the grass is always greener mm -hmm. you know um but it is i'm extremely blessed and extremely lucky to, that i have a fantastic job and i've been able to enjoy it for a long long time um and uh you know the you know people say you know well you've you've won four james beard awards and you've won you know governments have presented you you know awards and you know, uh, a couple years ago, I, I won an Emmy that was, I mean, a pretty big deal. If you do TV, if you describe your job as a TV mm. guy and you win an mm. Emmy, that's it's huge. pretty good. Not a regional one, mm. not knocking the regional ones, but I'm sure. just like, you know, mm -hmm. I mean, you know. The a, real deal. It's a good deal. You know, it's, mm -hmm. it's nice. You know, mm -hmm. I'm, I'm not going to say I, I didn't celebrate that night. Oh, I'll bet. Um, but, um, and I, I, my lips to God's ears. Every single day I get a note or a, uh, it just happened to me uh, Sunday um, in the Cayman Islands. A young woman came up to me and handed me a letter from her mother. And uh, the, the woman who gave it to me was in her 40s, mom in her 70s, dad had just died. And the, the mom knew that the daughter was going to this food festival that I was going to be out and said, you hunt down Andrew Zimmer. Mm -hmm. You're going to be there. He's going to be there. And you give this to him. It was handwritten three or four pages. And it just described the joy at the end of his life when he couldn't do anything but sit that she and her husband took watching my show and how he got to see all these places in the world and they would cook foods from the different countries. And, and they just, they used the content that I was making is a springboard to enjoy their last years together. And I mean, I was bawling three mm. sentences into this letter. And, you know, I, I hear that kind of stuff all the time. Mm. And sometimes it's at my local supermarket and someone taps me on the shoulder and says, my kid eats broccoli because we told him yeah. if Andrew Zimmern can eat walrus anus, you can eat your <laughs> broccoli. And, and it, you know, we always joke about these sort of cliches or these, you know, famous quotes. And it, it, it was Maya Angelou who said, mm -hmm. nobody gives a hoot about how much money you make or what awards you win, what they care about when you, when all is said and done is how you make them feel. So if you've, you know, to be able to have impacted a human being, right. Um, and to get feedback on that and, and know that like, if I walk out the door and get hit by a bus, 
I will have made a, a positive change in at least one person's life. I mean, it, that's the greatest thing in the world. You know, I, I, I do all these shows where I'm in foreign countries with, with the world's first peoples, indigenous peoples. And um, I always ask their uh, spiritual leader the same question, which is, why are we here on planet Earth? And it's not because I'm a Caddyshack Bill mm-hmm. Murray guy. Sure. But, but uh, you know, the, 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 the joke in, you know, you know, in that, you know, movie when he meets the Dalai Lama and asks him what's the meaning of life um, is, I mean, I'm just dying to know. I mean, I, sometimes I meet people who have more on the ball in this arena than any of us ever will. And I believe have a more mm-hmm. a, a direct pipeline to something that mm-hmm. I don't know what it is, but they're living in a whole different zone. Yep. And every single one of them. Some people speaking in clicks and whistles half the world away from where the other one is say the same thing. We're on this planet to make the world a better place and love each other. And I'm like, that is the stuff that I'm really proud to say I can check that that box to my satisfaction today. And I'm trying to hold on to that and not muck it up over the next 30 years. Uh, That's the that's the that's the best. That is absolutely not even close make just talking about it and knowing that is uh is something that keeps me going well, it's, why I'm gonna die in the, it's why i'm gonna die in the saddle there you go yep. fantastic it's your, answer it's your art and you do it well mm-hmm. and and it's impactful and 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 when it comes back that way nothing it's paramount nothing else um meets that um <clears throat> andrew we want to thank you for joining us today on the show Remind everybody they go to Andrew Zimmern. Uh, it's Z I M E R N, correct? One M or two M's? Two, 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 two M's. M's. Okay, two M's. AndrewZimmern.com. Land All there. All the info's there. And Get that info. I would like to personally invite you, if you're ever in Creston, Ohio, just south, about 45 minutes south of Cleveland. We'd love to have you to our shop sometime. So, oh my gosh, you, I would love that. If open invitation. I would love that. We do Always. not have walrus anus. No. We do not have shaman, but we can come <laughs> we, up with something. We can give you a. We so, we, we raise bison, so we can give you a bison anus. Oh, I love that. Yeah. I love that. Well, it, I'm. I'm always traveling around, and uh, you guys actually know how to get a hold of me. So please send uh, my team the address we and will. everything, so I can stick it down because I actually. Yeah. Someone in my office keeps a list of that kind of stuff, sort of places I need to stop because when I'm going to a certain part of the world, it's an easy thing to grab. And I'm in that area twice a year at least. Wonderful. Open invite. We'd love to see you. Love it. I would too. Awesome. Thanks, guys. Appreciate appreciate the opportunity. Have a wonderful night. Thank you. Bye-bye. See you.